0: Being a consultant, for example, I was able to change some things on a product by product basis. But the biggest opportunity for change is for folks like you and like myself and others, like the gentleman at the big chemical company to embed ourselves in these very companies and to get to know the folks working on the front lines and changing the hearts and minds, instituting the right practices, questioning why, questioning why not another value set, an expanded value set. That's how the biggest change is going to to happen. If you can build momentum internally and, and build a coalition of the folks that care about these things, you'll be surprised just how effective it can be.
1: Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying. If others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Not everyone gets his or her dream job, but Michael Werner did, helping make green, sustainable product design at one of the largest, most renowned companies in the world, Google, although they're also beleaguered in the recent coverage. Before Google, he worked at Apple, another renowned company. And whatever your thoughts on these companies, he's in a position to help them lead in areas of great importance. I think they could use it. How did he get these positions? Did he get them by working up the ladder? On the contrary, by leading from the start. A major goal of this podcast is to show that if you want to lead, especially in the area of the environment, a successful path, and I believe the most successful path, is to start leading now with what you can. If that's in a community group, with a community group. If that's in your company, then do it in that company. Waiting for a position to open up doesn't work as well. These positions don't exist yet. Acting creates opportunities, and Michael is an example. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh. I'm here with Mike Werner. How are you doing, Mike?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks, Josh.
1: And we were just talking before getting started about how you're involved with Google. And they just announced yesterday that they acquired HTC. And you work on environmental impact of, of the hardware that Google produces. Is that right?
0: Yeah. In many ways, I have a dream job. I get to help a manufacturer like Google, a giant in the world, figure out how to address product sustainability. I'm a chemist by training and I get to see what kinds of chemicals and components and materials we select. I get to influence product design from an environmental standpoint. I get to help them transform their business as they're growing in hardware to be a leader in the industry.
1: Now since you mentioned as a dream job, I got to go back to our earlier conversation and not, you know, before we started recording or anything like that. And it sounds like you've had a dream career. And I think a lot of people think of working on environmental stuff as a distraction or a diversion. And, you know, I want to make money or I want to get ahead. And if I work on that stuff, it's going to keep me from getting to do what I do. There's one point I remember you started, you got to work with someone that was like, you were like, that's exactly what I wanted to work with, doing exactly what I wanted to do. Do, Have I gotten anything wrong? And if not, what's the story? Can you fill in the details? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like I've had a series of successive dream jobs along the way as my career has grown, and I've been galvanized by environment and science since I was a little kid, always asking my father why, why, why. When I was in college, I read the book Cradle to Cradle by Bill McDonough, and the interesting thing about that book is it weighs like two and a half pounds, three pounds. It is a lot heavier than your normal paperback book. That's because it's not made of paper it's made of a uh, uh talc filled polypropylene which was the first iteration of a fully uh fully recyclable design unlike other books and the premise of cradle to cradle is the idea of designing products and systems uh so that materials and different things can flow back either to industry forever uh, much in the same way that we think of recycling our soda cans or Products that flow back to nature as nature has intended. Nature doesn't know any waste. Uh, all of the leaves that fall right around this time of the year start changing color and will fall to the ground decay and provide nutrients to the earth. And so to think about manufacturing and, and the business systems and the, that are fueling consumerism to be thinking about business that way was novel to me. And had set me off on this path where I said, I'm going to use my passion for chemistry to figure out how to make products better to fit in with a technical or biological cycle.
1: Sorry to interrupt. About what year is this? Because I feel like that's now big, but I feel like it probably wasn't big at the time.
0: Yeah, this was 2002 and it wasn't big at the time. I believe the book hit the bestseller list and my father said on one of the college breaks, hey, you should read this. And after about two pages into the book, I couldn't I couldn't let it down, and I finished the book in one night. I rarely get so wrapped up into a book that that happens. And five years later, five years later I was, or four years later, I was uh, left college and was teaching at a private boarding school where uh the school is incredibly progressive around the environment they're the only high school in the country with their own zoo aza accredited zoo the school is uh, called millbrook school in millbrook new york about two hours north of, of uh, new york city and it is a picturesque beautiful uh setting rolling hills uh oak and maple forests and they would host uh, forums once a month um, on a Thursday where they would bring in artists or designers or uh, poets. And it just happened that Bill McDonough, uh, a world-famous green architect, was invited. He's the same uh, person who wrote the book Cradle to Cradle. And it was happenstance. Uh, My jaw dropped as I was listening to the man who changed my direction in life, changed my pathway, Had was a source of inspiration and passion for me to make the world a better place. And it was just riveting to listen to the, the stories, the events that had led, the innovations that were happening under his leadership uh, in industry, really pushing companies to adopt a different set of values.
1: Your jaw still on the floor as he's speaking in front of the audience?
0: i uh y- you know he's such a profound storyteller, and the way in which he can captivate an audience and and jar our thinking around what's possible is where I still get goosebumps when I listen to him. My career has shifted to executing on a lot of those things where the problems are complicated, the timelines are very long, and uh it saps a lot of energy. Um, but he still is a source of inspiration for me to keep
1: going. So now you your degree's in chemistry, and I hear a lot of design in there. So was design also a degree of yours, or is that something that came later? Design was not a degree. I
0: didn't have a luxury. You're a professor, and you understand how siloed uh, the educational system is. Particularly in the sciences, you don't have much uh, opportunity to venture outside without Dramatically extending your, your tenure at a school. I changed my majors from, from a comprehensive science program focused on computer science and genetics and human physiology and chemistry over to purely chemistry. And that shift alone extended my, my tenure at Villanova University by one year. Um, so a lot of courses, uh, to take that didn't afford me the opportunity to really delve into design, but I did have the opportunity to spend a year with the with an innovation school in Holland, Michigan called New North and uh, learning about innovation and design and the importance of, of people to be able to toggle back and forth between the left-brain analytical hard facts science to a right-brain creative. Uh, and this was under the tutelage of Nate Young, who – spent many years in the automotive industry, was uh, an executive of design for Johnson Controls, and is now SVP of design for Newell Rubbermaid, Uh, a fantastic leader and designer who has given me an appreciation for how to bring design into business uh, to solve some of these complicated problems.
1: All right, I'm seeing this trend here of you getting to work with incredible people and people who later become yet more incredible. And I'm wondering so for I I'm sure people listening would like to have dream jobs and dream careers. Are you getting lucky over and over again or is there something going on here that you're taking initiative or I mean can people people who want to follow in your footsteps is it just get lucky or is there something else going on here is it following your passion or
0: great question. I think it's a combination of all those things. I absolutely would not be here without the right values framework, the right inspiration, the right drive for excellence the the hard work, the technical excellence that I've had to demonstrate over the years because you don't gain credibility if you're not excellent in the discipline that that you're studying in or you know primarily focused on
1: and that part I take it came through hard work dedication discipline definitely academia and then post academia as well
0: it, that's exactly right that's exactly right Josh. And there is this piece of of being open to the universe for me, being open to the universe to uh, for things that come your way and seizing those those chances, seizing those opportunities, because you never know who you're going to meet along the way and you never know what those experiences are going to bring. So in my life, I try to say yes to everything and it's difficult and you still have to prioritize, but the doors open and you just have to believe that with hard work. And persistence, and the the right network, and and showing showing your skill and expertise in the particular challenges that you take on, that they too can have dream jobs.
1: What would you say to people who would say that working on the environment is a distraction, or if they want to make money, and you know, oh, I love a, I love this stuff, but really, I got to be practical. Well,
0: I think it's a farce to think that the two are mutually exclusive, that profitability and sustainability or working on the environment means that you can't be profitable. There are dozens of enterprises, including Google, including Apple, uh, Patagonia, Levi's. The office furniture industry has demonstrated and shown that prioritizing environmental activities still lead to sustainable profits. So I'm living proof of it. I've seen it in organizations. I've led teams uh, that have uh, led to demonstrable increases in ROI because of these kinds of efforts. So, so I, I refuse to believe that they're mutually exclusive.
1: Well, did, did places that hire you have that mindset already, or and they just were looking for someone, or did you come in and say you can be more profitable, and you should hire me to pick it up, or like to say that a company can be more profitable doesn't mean that you're going to get a job.
0: You're absolutely right. I have gravitated toward those companies that get it. And that has made my job a little bit easier. What I've learned is that there are those that believe you have to do grassroots approach bottom up to change the hearts and minds of engineers and decision makers to care about this stuff. And there are others that say, no, you need the leadership top down uh, to tell people what to do. The reality is you need both and the companies that i have chosen to work for because i have had an opportunity to be selective are the ones that where they do get it where the possibilities to push the edge of a, of sustainability to take on sustainable innovation the probability is much higher so there are definitely those companies that are focused on traditional business practices, aren't interested in pushing the status quo. And I think that uh, if your listeners are working for those companies that are interested in this area, they will find it much, much more challenging. But there's good news. And the, the good news is that the leaders in the industries are the ones that really care about these kinds of things. And if they're leaders and they don't care about these kinds of things, their competitors are nipping at their heels and are seeing that in order to be competitive they too need to address things like climate change things like material toxicity things like their social practices otherwise the consumers and the the businesses sourcing products from them are going to turn to the competitors that do care about these things
1: so is it oversimplifying things to say that the opportunities are there and in fact they're there at the places that are the most in demand desirable places but you have to work hard to make sure that you're worth it, worth it for them. And if you don't, if you're out some place that doesn't really care about that stuff, it's not going to work that well for you. But I guess you won't have to work that hard. <laughs> but it'll be, it'll, it'll be unrewarding.
0: I, I guess so. I'm a fixer. And I've recognized that about myself since I was a young age. And businesses need fixing. They they're, There are broken processes, broken ethics, broken values. And there will never be a shortage of this kind of work. I think those of us that are working in the environmental space as innovators bear the same battle scars of, of any team that's looking to push the status quo and push beyond. And we have to become battle-hardened to those experiences and learn from them and uh, no matter if you're working for a company like uh w- is traditionally seen as an evil giant like ExxonMobil or or BP or or others um because they need folks like us too i think that if you're working in those kinds of industries in a business unit or division where they they don't get it they don't see the value of addressing things like climate change then their jobs are much much more difficult but there's this other piece Josh where We have to also speak their language. We have to put things in terms of dollars and cents while at the same time apply sort of catering to a higher standard to ensure that we don't lose focus on the north, the real north star, no matter what business that we're in.
1: You know, speaking of these big companies, uh, some might characterize as big evil giants or something like that, uh, one of the guests that I had on the show is works at a large oil company. I can't say which, because his, that was part of the deal. And I may may put you in touch with him actually. And I might've told you about this last time when we spoke that the opportunities for him are really big, partly because it's such a top-down organization and getting a sustainability committee going is so it's going to take them years. Whereas to do an entrepreneurial thing, to get people acting internally without making a big deal about it and letting it grow. I think there's big opportunity for that, especially because Everyone who gets hired who's in their 20s is facing far more decades of having to live in a world of rising sea levels and so forth and uh, plastics in the ocean and stuff. That is, it, They're coming in and personally saying, I want to do something about this. Yeah, I'm working here, but I, I want to change things. And I think the opportunities for him there are tremendous. It, it, it will be hard work because the top people, the decision makers, they don't necessarily see things that way. To me, that's just entrepreneurial – the opportunity for someone with entrepreneurial skills, perspectives, and leadership skills I think is great.
0: I I totally agree. And and it's that industry in particular that I think is in the crosshairs uh, from a number of industries because pretty much every single product in some way, shape, or form starts with them. They are the super commodities. They are the catalysts that are responsible for – Every polymer, every liquid fuel, just about every starting material that, that doesn't come from another natural source other than than mining. And if they aren't the ones stepping up to innovate and to change to address how devastating extraction of their resources are on the world, then they may become obsolete. We've seen renewable energy grow all over the world, putting uh, coal miners out of work closing other, you know, other oil based fired power plants out of business because there are alternatives. There are are alternatives which are uh, greener. They are not perfect. But I'm I do agree with you that there is tremendous opportunity for them and they need it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you ended it with that, that they need it because the opportunities for someone who wants to act. I think when I was younger in college, when I would go protest things, I would think, give me the picket fence or picket you know, and I'll all go out and protest these things, but now I think if I really want to affect change, then I think the biggest Delta, that's the opportunity for the biggest Delta. And so I'm, I very much like to work with him and get something going there. And I hope that happens, not because I want to be part of that industry, but because that's where the changes can happen. And yeah, I think you're like, you're pointing out the competition is going to come not from their traditional competitors, but from other ways of generating energy. And I would hope people consuming less of it. Yeah. You said they are, it starts with them. And I guess it's kind of arbitrary where you say it starts. To me, part of the reason for this podcast is I think you could say it starts with them. I might say it starts with the consumer because we're buying the stuff and where's their money coming from? And you could say, well, if I live in a place and I have to drive a car, then I don't really have a choice in the matter. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to argue with that, but I haven't met anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to consume less.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I also agree with you that, that they're the biggest opportunity for the largest Delta is not picketing, not protesting. It's, it's taking action. And what I have concluded, and I've, I've said this other times in other forums, I've concluded that in many ways, I am doing nonprofit business, nonprofit work in a for-profit business. And I'm on an advisory board, and the chair of the advisory board said, why do you say that? And the advisory board is for a an NGO really focused on pushing the importance of eliminating hazardous substances from not just electronic products, but all products. And I said, because the status quo is what makes these companies business. There is no need for them to change necessarily until – competition catches up with them or their consumers are making decisions on an expanded value set and and opting to go with others. And so I have also learned that being a consultant, for example, I was able to change some things on a product by product basis. But the biggest opportunity for change is for folks like you and like myself and others, like the gentleman at uh, the big chemical company, to embed ourselves in these very companies and to get to know the folks working on the front lines and changing the hearts and minds, instituting the right practices, questioning why, questioning why not another value set, an expanded value set. That's how the biggest change is going to to happen. And if you can build momentum internally and, and build a coalition of the folks that care about these things, you'll be surprised uh, just how effective it can be.
1: Yeah, I I'm increasingly getting incensed and holding it back less and less all the time of people who say do little things because like, here's a little thing that you could do and little things add up to big things. I think the big opportunities like make big changes. Of course you have to start somewhere, but I think that the value of little things is they get this mindset where there is opportunity and this is a way to get your career going. This is, this is something to, to give you leadership opportunities, not a distraction. And it's through action and when you, at least when you see it the way I see it, I would say when you get it, then you see huge, huge opportunity of huge growth industries and change and things that we have to figure out. And if you're waiting for someone to give you a job, yes, you're going to wait a long time, probably because some of these opportunities are so awesome that the most awesome people are taking them and the opportunity is to become an awesome person, which plugging my own stuff, I mean, I guess people are listening to this, they don't need plugging, but the point of this podcast is to show how you can do things, usually starting with little things. But most of my guests, the little things lead to bigger things. And people who are waiting, it's like this is the opportunity. This is this is the time to be on the forefront of something that you could lead hundreds of millions, billions of people.
0: I totally agree. Do I get too excited there? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it is exciting. I think that's why that's why I'm sensing your energy and, and hopefully your audiences too. The thing that that I wanted, certainly out of college, was this director level position, decision maker, because I was so passionate about this, I'm just going to tell people what to do. And and you you quickly realize that, one, you're not qualified for those higher levels positions because you don't have a track record. And the other thing is you can't just tell people what to do. You need to lead by example. You need to demonstrate your excellence, demonstrate your competence. You need to learn how to build trust with others to help them understand the importance of why you're asking them to do what you're asking. And it takes time. Uh, it's, there's, the opportunity is now for folks to take a step up in their, in their careers or take a, take a step up in the role or the position that they have in their companies to address some aspect of sustainability, some aspect of environmentalism and couch it in the terms of their business and show them how it can be done. Whether it be researching a new business model that may fit into a circular economy, or if it's using less waste or composting in their office. Um, If it's a new process that drives higher efficiency, something. And, all companies would jump at the chance to save money if it meant uh, lower costs, lower waste shipments, higher yields, anything. There, there's opportunity all around.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned like these little things like composting in the office. Like that's where it begins. And great leaders, Martin Luther King, had to organize a bus boycott. That's not glamorous. That's grunt work, especially when there's no internet. Gandhi got kicked off a train and these little things. If you act on them, you know, are the, are the they lead to bigger things. You said it takes time. And I think it does take time. And I think it's not just time though, it's experience. Because if you just sit around not doing anything, I don't think you can a lot of time can pass and you won't really get experience. And in my experience, experience means making mistakes. Like I think this podcast is going really well, but at the beginning when I was trying to give talks to audiences one way, like meet them any. I could get, I could fill a room because I, you know, as a professor, I've got lots of students who are around and they like my stuff, but it was really ineffective. And man, did I want to give up so many times because when you're trying to tell people what to do, that wasn't exactly what I was trying to do, but there was too much of that in there. And man, people push back hard and then you feel like you failed and, but I don't know of any other way of of doing it. Oh yeah. When you pay people for, for their experience, you're not paying them just people who sat around, you're paying people who did stuff, failed, learned from it and, and made it through that.
0: That that's exactly right. I think that's also a really important takeaway for anybody: is we're human. We learn by making mistakes. We learn far more by making mistakes than than we do from our successes. I remember making a really bad mistake uh, early in my career, which was to badmouth the processes, in particular, a system, uh, a technology system for tracking data. Uh, bad-mouthing it as the worst thing that I've ever seen right to the person who is responsible for designing and implementing it. And that lesson has carried forward with me because it uh, hurt my relationship with that person. It, you don't uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, stymied my growth in that company. It set up adversarial conversations in the future around uh, changing things or making things better. And so you learn to become sensitive to the, uh, the dynamics that as sustainability professionals, what you're asking people to do is change. And you've got to be really careful and sensitive to the fact that there was a lot of work done to build the infrastructure that exists. We can't go in and expect to blow it up and start over. And so I think the the experienced folks are the ones that learn from something very tangible like that to make sure that it doesn't happen again, or you, you become a lot savvier about how to navigate driving change in companies.
1: And I feel like eventually you learn to look forward to it. Like if someone's going to start their composting program in some office, you know, there's some chance that you mess up and you put in some container and then a bunch of cockroaches come out or something like that and everyone's getting mad, it gets mad at you. And then you're the expert. Because you you did that. And yeah, you messed up. But it's inevitable that that happens if you try. But if you don't try, I well, then you probably won't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I want to now you talked about personal act, acting and taking responsibility. I want to ask about that. But I want to see if if you can't answer this because it, it's private stuff. Fine. But I'd love to give the listeners some inside scoop on you're at Google now. Before that, you were at Apple. And anything like what's coming down the road? In terms of what you do, that like, are they acting? Are they increasing their sustainability measures? Are there things that they're doing that that people don't know about from the outside that might inspire people or something like that? Or actually, industry wide, if, if other than that.
0: Yeah. Uh, go- first, Google's a fantastic company, and I am really grateful for the opportunity to be working uh, with them. And I've joined uh, a tremendous team, growing team that really understands the complexities of the topics around sustainability facing um, an IT company and a, a company that's also taking on consumer hardware in a big way. There are some very different, unique challenges that uh, face a company like Apple uh, versus Google. And I, while well, I'm not able to give you a, a read on what's coming, unfortunately, I can say that we have uh, wonderful leadership here under Kate Brandt, the lead of Sustainability for Alphabet, pushing a really aggressive agenda to address all of the key aspects from uh, that impact our data centers to even designing products for a circular economy, designing uh, tools that can be used to share information in, in the uh, supply chain Uh, connecting services to address sustainability as well. And so I would just stay tuned. I'd ask your listeners to stay tuned to those developments on environment.google.com.
1: Environment.google.com. Cool. And is this industry-wide or is Google like a leader that's so far ahead of the others? Or is this something that's like big opportunities for all different uh, companies that are in generally that area, Silicon Valley type stuff?
0: You know, Google is a leader. And the good news is that a lot of The Silicon Valley companies, by the very nature of the talent that gets attracted here, the values that sort of are instilled in the San Francisco Bay Area are really focused in on sustainability. And so there is great work happening across the industry and across our competitors. And I think that there is a very, very bright future ahead for Google, for our competitors, who are taking these topics very seriously and have made some some significant public statements around addressing climate change, driving out uh, hazardous substances from products and why I think there's such a bright future is because these companies are soaking in billions and billions of profits uh, much like the oil and gas industry did in the nineties and early two thousands. And there's been a shift, shift in market capitalization and sort of the flows of money going to some of these companies who have incredible war chests to effectuate change. And the fact that they care about this, they've got um, folks like me embedded in these companies to ad- address these very complicated topics that cut across country lines and regulations and and other industries. I think that there will be more change coming out of our sector uh, that will ripple across the world than probably just about any other sector right
1: now. It sounds to me like there's lots of opportunity for people to take charge. It's not going to happen fast. You'll make mistakes along the way. But the opportunity, if it's what your values are, it's it's there for the taking. I I couldn't have said it better, Josh. I just summarized what you said. (laughs) Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting, that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it. Changing more... And finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. All right, now let's talk about leadership by example. So, and this may be more challenging for you than a lot of other people because I have a feeling that you've been looking at your values for some time and trying to live by your values already. But you know the you know the deal. I'm gonna ask you, and it's your option to do it or not, but if you're up for it, to take on a personal challenge to act on something, to act by a value that you might not have been doing. Well, here's the the rules that if you want to, you you can, if you don't, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but it's to take on a personal challenge that will live by your values. So something that you come up with, uh, it doesn't have to change the world overnight, but it has to be something new that you weren't already doing. And it can be temporary. And, but I hope that if you choose to do it, that you think about doing it long-term, even if it's something that you do short-term. Have you thought about this before?
0: I have thought, and I'm not perfect, even though I sort of live in this realm I think as you had commented earlier, uh, you haven't met anybody that couldn't consume less and, and I'm no different.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to comment here because I was realizing that I keep telling people because I'm, I'm kind of proud of it that, you know, I throw out my landfill garbage a couple times a year and that's down from, you know, once or twice a week and people are like, oh, that's really good. And I, and sometimes they thank me and I'm like, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it because I don't want to pollute. And I was thinking of how to describe how I feel about throwing garbage out once or twice a year. And it hit me. The way that I feel is it's disgusting because I'm creating waste that other people have to deal with. It's still a lot. Just because it's less than it was before, it doesn't mean that I. It's more. It's still more than what it could be. And I don't want to get stuck evaluating it by other people's values. It's. I don't want to pollute, and I'm polluting, and I want to reduce that anyway. So what you said made me think of that. It's yeah, like definitely. It. Disgusting is not the right word, but you know, it's definitely not where I want to be. And just because it's a lot less than before, it doesn't mean that it's still not a lot more than it could be.
0: Well, I envision a world, Josh, where we're all like that, where there isn't anything that goes to a landfill or a waste energy incinerator, where we can have sustainable, profitable enterprise that provides consumers with products that flow back to industry or flow back to nature in a biological cycle. And I think what you've been able to capitalize on is the ability to recycle, to be very selective about what kinds of things you accept into your home, what dealing with packaging. Packaging is a necessary evil in the global commerce of shipping stuff, and I think it's great that you've been able to lead by example in that way. And and I hope uh, your listeners see that kind of opportunity in their lives too.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely living by my values more than before how much I'm leading, we'll see. I hope that, I mean, I hope it starts a big global, well, not starts, but I hope it helps accelerate big global changes in behavior. Yeah. And I hope in the long run that it's, it becomes like wearing seatbelts, which when I was a kid, people were like, you can't tell me what to do. I, you know, it doesn't affect anyone else. I'll wear it if I want to, if I don't, I'm not going to. And now it's simply, you don't think about it. You just do it. Your hand in a car, your hand goes up and no one thinks of selling a car. I don't care what the law is. No one's going to try to sell a car without seatbelts. And you're not going to say, do this one little thing, get a seatbelt in the front seat. They're going to say, get seatbelts everywhere, airbags all around, crumple zones, full safety, everything. And one day in the future, it won't be like, oh, do this one little thing that will reduce your – it's like the reason I avoid food packaging is because the food is so delicious when you get fresh fruits and vegetables. So, so uh, the listeners have heard me say that before, but it's, it's, it's such a joyful life. It's delicious. Okay, so your challenge <laughs> – <laughs> my my
0: challenge I've been thinking a lot about. So the listeners don't know this this little fact, but uh I love driving. Yeah, there's something about getting on the open road and uh being in control of the direction you're heading, the speed that you're going to to have that kind of control, to feel the wheels beneath uh your feet, the rev of the engine, there's just something that I've grown to really enjoy that. And I recently purchased also uh, – this moves me backwards in the continuum of sustainability in some ways, but I, I purchased a 30-year-old Volkswagen Vanagon Westphalia camper, camper van with a highly inefficient, uh, low-power, 90-horsepower, 2.1-liter motor in it that gets about 16 miles a gallon.
1: Are you going to put the word further on it? <laughs> no, I'm not, but <laughs> – I,
0: uh, I have, um, you know, the connection, by the way, the reference, I, I don't know.
1: I'll leave it as an exercise to the listeners and to you to look up <laughs> the further vehicle and why, why I made that reference.
0: I will for sure. My, um, my daily driver is a 10 year old Honda Civic that gets, you know, anywhere between 30 and 38 miles a gallon. I currently live about 18 miles away from the Google campus and, uh, there is a paved road and trail, bike trail all the way to work. One of the things that I, I have done the biking, um, probably about a half dozen times over the last several months. Primarily, I've been driving primarily to save time. I also have a, a beautiful 19 month old that requires me pick up from daycare. So I need a car to do that. But I think the the challenge that I want to take on is to for 30 days not drive my car to commute to work and that saves me about 15 pounds of co2 i've done the math saves me about 15 pounds of co2 in each leg of that commute and i think i could achieve that by um, primarily by cycling it is wonderful exercise but also um, to take advantage of Google's shuttle system, which will be on the road regardless if I'm on it or not. But it is – I've learned that I'm far too exhausted at the end of the day to propel myself the 36 miles round trip and to do that every day. I, I don't think I could physically do it. So my challenge is to not, not commute with my vehicle to and from work for 30 days.
1: That sounds like quite a challenge. And it sounds like something that you're really interested in that, like this, it sounds like I'm, my prompting you prompted you, but it sounds like something you were interested in taking on anyway.
0: It's always been in my mind about, about the impact that I'm having. And I think what's interesting about this challenge is, yes, I've been thinking about it, but I haven't acted on it. And this is prompting me to really get serious about it and act on it. And when you verbalize the commitment and you make a commitment to uh, your listeners, I don't want to come back and uh, say I couldn't do it. And I know that creating a new habit takes repetitive motion for many days in a row. So I'm I'm also hoping secretly that this will become a, a lasting habit.
1: Music to my ears. And I hope also that people listening think, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And they're probably thinking, well, I'll be the judge of that. Let's see. <laughs> I don't know if the, if people are hoping you succeed more or fail more. Personally, I hope that you face challenges that you have to overcome that you didn't foresee, because I think that's the biggest hurdle people have. Is like they start to do something, and then something comes up that they didn't anticipate, and they think, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought, and then that's the end of that. Yeah,
0: you know, we're entering the rainy season here in Northern California, and admittedly, I'm worried about how that may impact my ability to safely commute by bike. Um certainly at least a portion of the way uh to the bus
1: stop. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, how would a Dutch person respond to that?
0: <laughs> you know, that's a great point. And uh they would probably suck it up.
1: <laughs> or they'd be like, what uh okay, have you said anything yet that might be a problem? <laughs> I, I mean I'm not Dutch, so I don't know. But they uh also one of the things I've noticed a lot of times I teach downtown and it's a bit of a walk to get home. It's a 30 minute walk to get home from there. And if I take the subway, it's 15 minutes. But if I walk, it's 30 minutes of exercise. So I think to myself, well, that means, see, sadly, when I was younger, walking didn't count as exercise, but now I'm 46. So walking <laughs> actually does count as exercise because I can feel it the next day. And it, that wasn't the case when I was younger. Anyway, so, so if I walk for 30 minutes and that means I get 30 minutes of exercise in, which means I've actually saved 30 minutes. So in this, in this interesting, nerdy way that I look at things, I'm even walking for half an hour instead of 15 minutes, I'm actually saving 15 minutes instead of taking 15 minutes extra.
0: Uh, It's yeah, you you're seeing the trade off. And likewise, for me, uh, working in a technology company is is highly fast paced and highly demanding of your time of your time. And I don't have the opportunity to uh, let me put it this way. I have not prioritized working out at the level that I probably should. And so this does give me a convenient excuse to get that exercise in and and get the time back. The other piece of it is it takes about 45 minutes door to door by car. And this is about an hour and five hour and 10 minutes, which is not
1: that much longer. So, and I get to exercise. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how this goes. Well, (laughs) thank you. So let's wrap up here, but is there anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up? I'm not sure, Josh.
0: Uh, I thought it was a great conversation. No, I, I, I enjoyed it and I hope your listeners did too.
1: Okay, great. So then I will talk to you in, uh, actually it's going to be Thursday. In, anyway, in, in about a month and I really look forward to hearing how it goes. And, and I predict you're going to hit some challenges that you could not possibly have foreseen. And it's like, it's how to handle those is what it's not make no challenges come. It's, I think that's impossible. I think it's. How do you handle them when they come? And I think the, the listeners get to hear that.
0: Yes. And I embrace those challenges. So I look forward to sharing that in about a month.
1: All right. So then when we, when we hang up, we'll hang up and then I'll talk to you then and uh, uh, enjoy, look up further <laughs> for the
0: buses. <laughs> I will. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Josh. Bye. Bye.
1: I'm glad to hear people within big companies with major inertia are working on sustainability, but man, they have challenges ahead. It's also rare to find people who get what I described as reusing and recycling or efficiency in general is tactical. Reduction is strategic. I'll link in the podcast page to this episode that I did on that to get, that goes into more detail. Most companies prefer recycling and efficiency because they drive growth, which makes people feel better, but it is the opposite of reduction. That is, they pursue tactics that undermine the strategy. So I haven't looked into Google's practices, so I'm not sure how much it applies there. If I had to bet, I'd bet that they were going for efficiency and that is tactical and probably undermining the strategy of reduction, but I can't say for sure. This was an early episode, almost two years old. I didn't ask him first about what the environment meant to him, so I didn't connect his challenge to something personal. I got lucky that he had something in mind at first, but I think that leadership works far more effectively when you, the leader, makes the person feel comfortable sharing his or her values which makes the task when you give it to them or have them come up with one, feel more meaningful. What I did just to ask him if he had a project probably would not have worked with someone less enthusiastic before I came into the picture. And it didn't lead him to find his project, I believe, as meaningful as he could have otherwise. Still, I think he's doing it for himself and we'll hear in the second episode how it went. Did you feel inspired too? then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.